words of these songs that uh, truly joy has come to this world as we go into this Advent season and truly uh, just revel in the great news that God is with us, that he became man, that he lived a sinless life even when we were sinful, that he came, that he died as a sacrifice in our place, that he died, that he rose again, and according to the scriptures is at the right hand of the throne of God waiting for the call to return. Lord, this gospel that we celebrate, that we gather together to worship you this morning is because of what you have done. You are worthy, truly, these ancient words do impart. Your word is a gift to us. We thank you that it's been in our language for over 500 years. What a a gift that is. And all the resources and the things that have been developed uh, Uh, from those days on that we've been able to take this gospel to the nations. We thank you, Lord, for your work. God, we uh, pray that you would continue to meet with us as we not just uh, pray, but as we've sung, and now as we look at your word in a few moments, that you would be uh, glorified in our worship, Lord. Father, we uh, don't lift just ourselves up to you, but we lift up other churches. We think of Covenant Reformed Church in Jefferson uh, this morning, that you would be with them, that you would continue to uh, work in their lives and through their lives uh, in this community, that, Lord, you would bless them, uh, uh, draw them to yourself, give them opportunities, Lord, to um, see more, come to know you. Uh, Lord, we lift them to you. We thank you for uh, other churches in our network. We thank you for uh, Grace Family. Uh, Baptist Church in North Houston, uh, that you would be with them, Lord, and encourage them. We pray that you would uh, provide uh, for their needs, God, and that you would uh, encourage them in all the gospel endeavors that they are involved in. So we lift them to you, Lord. We thank you for Grace Family uh, Baptist Church. Lord, we also are executed church, particularly in Malaysia this morning, uh, that you would be with them, Lord, that you would give uh, us the remembrance of them as if we were in chains with them, those that have been falsely imprisoned, or even those that are, um, uh, their lives are at stake, Lord, that you would be with them. Uh, We thank you for uh, groups and uh, ministries that are involved in uh, seeking to give us those kinds, that kind of information from closed countries, but uh, we just ask that you would be with the persecuted church this morning, and Lord, that you would help us to be bold in our freedoms um, as you have given them to us for this season, and we uh, thank you, and don't take those uh, lightly. So uh, spur us on, Lord, to love and good works. Father, we pray for the unreached. Uh, As we do each week, we lift up a people group around the world that need you, need your word, need the gospel. So we lift up the Disa people of Chad, uh, Africa, this morning, that you would bring missionaries to them. Father, that you'd be with translators as they seek to bring a translation to uh, their language, Uh, Father, that you would work in the midst of uh, your church worldwide to uh, raise up missionaries to go to this people group, Father, that you would uh, use even these prayers uh, to um, bring forth fruit uh, in our generation to see a work started amongst them, and so, God, would you be so kind as to um, uh, redeem 
uh, some from the Disa people group, Father, for your glory. Father, we pray for many troubled places around the world. We think of uh, the war in Ukraine and in the Middle East with um, uh, Israel and Gaza. We do thank you for um, innocents that have been uh, released as far as hostages. Um, we were pleased to hear that, but yet at the same time, the, the uh, conflict continues. We do pray for uh, your wisdom, uh, that you would give that to state leaders in both countries, uh, Father, for Russia too and for Ukraine, that, Lord, of course, you would use your church on both sides of uh, that war to uh, bring peace and um, just the gospel message this Christmas season. So we pray for, for them. Father, we pray for our own military and those overseas that you'd be with them. We uh, ask that you would give them uh, grace, give our government leaders wisdom from our president all the way down uh, to those that are running for office, that you would be with them in this season, Lord, that you would raise up leaders uh, in your sovereign plan to lead this country. And uh, so we, we lift them to you, Lord. We thank you for being close to those that are grieving, Lord, in the holidays. Uh, it, it brings that back up for many families. Uh, we pray for those that have lost loved ones this year, that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, uh, Lord, that you would uh, help them to uh, look to the future of being uh, raised with you and uh, what it means to, to know you. And Father, give that opportunity as well for sharing the gospel for those that may not know you. Father, we pray for our expectant mothers. We think of Whitney and Sarah Foster, Lord, that you'd be with them. We pray that you would continue to be with these precious uh, children in their wombs, that you would uh, mold and shape them, and Lord, that you'd bring um, uh, healthy pregnancies and healthy deliveries, Lord. Father, we pray for those that are sick. We know there are many uh, that are not feeling well. We lift them to you, that you would restore them to us soon. We thank you for uh, Christina Graybeal's surgery going well. On Friday, uh, Lord, bring healing to her body, uh, that the pain would be minimal. We uh, just lift up um, as they wait on these pathology reports, and Lord, that they would just trust you, uh, Lord, that you would bring healing to her, Lord, and uh, help us to uh, wrap our arms around them, to love them, and to encourage them. Father, we think of Dean Mundy and uh, my friend Ryan D'Amato as well, Lord, as hospices come in, and uh, for uh, John Cordy. Uh, our missionary through RBNet, that you would be with him in his battle with esophageal cancer and the many other uh, people that are struggling with cancer, Lord, that you'd be with them. Father, we lift up Joe Morris to you, Lord, as he uh, prepares for back surgery at the end of this month, uh, Lord, that you would be with him, that you give the doctor's wisdom as he prepares uh, for that, that it would uh, repair, Lord, what it's intended to repair and that you'd bring him uh, quick healing. Father, we think of those that are traveling, uh, in our membership, that you would be with them as they uh, are got things going on, uh, whether they're traveling uh, with, uh, for missions purposes. Uh, we think of the Hendersons as they go to uh, back down to Central America, that you'd be with them, that you give them uh, grace as they travel. Uh, we pray uh, for those traveling with Samaritan's Purse and their ministries in, in that organization. We think of the Roberts, Lord, who are with us this morning, that you would be with them as they travel in just over a week, that you would be with them, Lord, that you would help them in all the uh, prayer needs that they shared uh, this morning, that you would continue to work uh, out their visa situation. Uh, we pray for their children, Lord, and all the uh, changes that are coming as far as um, 
children that are graduating in the years ahead, that you would give them wisdom about what they should do and what they should spend their lives doing, and that you would give them grace, we pray. Father, we do pray that in some uh, miraculous way that you would give them some rest here between now and next Monday uh, before they take off, that you would give them uh, some, some grace there. Father, we pray for their finances and um, and uh, Nathan's work with AIM Air, that you would continue providing, uh, give them great fruitfulness in their labors, provide for them, uh, hear their cry, Lord, in the ways that they uh, most need support. Father, we thank you for our church plant down in Wilkesboro as well, Christ alone, that you would be with Pastor Tim and uh, Cindy. Thank you for uh, Paul's uh, ministry uh, down there, yes, or last week, rather, uh, in preaching uh, down there. We pray that you would continue to grow that uh, small new church. We thank you for them. We thank you for what you're doing uh, in the midst of Wilkes County. And uh, we ask that you would continue to bring fruit. It's encouragement to hear this morning, even that uh, Candace originally was from Wilkesboro, and uh, the missionaries that have been sent out from Wilkes County and Ashe County is just an encouragement uh, to us locally. And so would you do more of that? Would you send more to the nations uh, for your glory and for your fame? Lord, we pray now as we look at your word, would you be glorified in not just our reading of it and understanding of it, but ultimately how you would apply it to our hearts in a variety of ways that you would be exalted, that you would be treasured more than uh, we are treasuring you uh, this hour. And so, Father, help us, we pray, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Trust each of you are doing well as we have made it to December. It's hard to believe that 2023 is, uh, the clock is ticking. We are glad um, uh, to be together in this season and continuing. Uh, just a little uh, uh, insight for this, this month. We are going to continue our study uh, in uh, Genesis, but we will break for uh, Christmas Eve. We'll have look more at a uh, Christmas uh, prophecy passage um, on, on Christmas Eve. We have a, a nice Christmas Eve service planned, so we encourage you to be here. Uh, we won't be doing anything Christmas Day. Uh, however, if you're looking for something to do Christmas Day, we are going to uh, gather whoever is available and uh, sing a little bit and have a devotion over at Generations Ash. So if that interests you, uh, sometimes uh, some of the Suddens go in uh, unvisited, and uh, how awful that is this time of the year. So if you want to bring a little bit of Christmas cheer, we're only going to be over there for about an hour, uh, one a little bit of time with memory care, and then a little bit of time uh, with uh, the assisted living. So if that interests you, see me, and I'll get you some details on that. But uh, as Brandon shared, if, if you are um, feeling left out, that's your fault, because we have a ton going on in this church, from uh, Christmas plays to a concert to uh, all kinds of things going on that you can be involved in, a missions project on the 13th. So um, it's your fault if you're uh, feeling lonely. Um, we are trying to give hugs, so make sure that uh, you are here for whatever you can be. As we approach our text this morning from uh, Genesis chapter 23, uh, just a reminder that we have been walking through this text and seeing God's scarlet uh, plan of redemption all the way through the life of Moses. And we looked at the death of Sarah and then now the very heaviness that's on Abraham's heart. And the reason I'm just giving a little bit of uh, speed back to this passage is because I don't want to read the whole passage. But we looked in chapter 24 last week that one of the big heavy things upon Abraham's heart was that Isaac would have a bride. 
and we know he's advanced in years, and he's seeking the Lord in this, but he doesn't want to send his son lest he uh, go back to his homeland and stay, and so he's sending his servant, and we're in the midst of that story where the servant has been sent out, and now we're going to pick up with that in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? This is the word of God. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels, and he departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing in the spring of, by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the, uh, the young woman, whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for the camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please, tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And when the young woman ran and told her mother's household, about these things. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As we look at historical narrative, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing out the history of Abraham. And Abraham's story has not been sugarcoated for us. It has been raw in the sense of the trials that Abraham has struggled with. 
And you consider the history of all that Abraham went through, you realize that his faith was built not overnight, but over many, many decades. We know that he struggled as he trusted the Lord for Isaac, the promised son, to be born. And then for him to just be asked back by the Lord 12 years later. And yet God provided a substitutionary sacrifice that he might not take Isaac's life. To the struggles with Abraham's household and struggling to live amongst a people group that uh, normally would not be so friendly to someone like Abraham and his clan. Yet God blessed him in this land. God had given him many flocks and herds and servants, and his household was exceedingly wealthy. And yet Abraham trusted God. We looked at the faith of Sarah as she died in our last passage in chapter 23 and at the ripe old age of 127 went to the ground by faith. And Abraham by faith purchasing a plot in which the dead would be buried in faith that God would ultimately give them that very land. And so from the beginning to the end to where we're at right now, we see that God has been faithful to Abraham. And yet Abraham, in his walk of faith, knows what God has promised him. He knows the land will be his. He knows there will be offspring. But we have one son, and now the new crisis at hand is that as Abraham grows old, and as we'll see in our next chapter, that Abraham dies himself. And so, as with the anxieties of many aging people, especially in the Lord, is about what is next. What does the Lord have for our next generation how is God going to bless our family for you fathers uh, that have growing children your prayers become not just that they would come to know the Lord but your prayers become God would you provide godly spouses for them would you provide sons and daughters for our sons and daughters and in the context of a sinful world that prayer request becomes seemingly impossible at times well, as with Abraham here in our text, he has been seeking the Lord on how this would happen, and yet Isaac remains unmarried in a world that is surrounded by godless society. Uh, people like the Canaanites and the Hittites that weren't worshiping Yahweh. They were worshiping gods of their own making. And as we know in other parts of the scriptures, these were perverse people in many other ways. And so Abraham sending his servant in our last passage, has now gone on this journey all the way back to Padanaram, which is to the northeast of where they were dwelling in what we would now call the Negev of, uh, of, of, uh, of present-day Israel. And so when we look at this, we know that this has been quite an endeavor that uh, Abraham has asked this servant to do. So as we look at this text, I want to look at it uh, in, in several different ways. First of all, the, the focus of the text goes back to the servant. And we're going to see that the very context is driven by this prayer that God would help his servant, um, and, or rather his master, find a son. This is his task, if you will, and it's on his plate. It's not his son that he's looking for a bride for. It's his master, and he's seen God's faithfulness over many generations, and many would assume that this is uh, Eliezer of Damascus, his main servant. 
But the text doesn't reveal that. It's just he's a servant. But the text does focus on his prayer. So I want to look at that. First of all, we're going to see here in these early verses of chapter 10 or verse 10 and following is that, the, that he prepares. He prepares to obey the Lord, let alone Abraham and all that he requested. If you can't remember what he requested, look back to uh, verses 1 through 9. Secondly, we're going to see that the prayer of the servant is very real, it's very obvious, and it's very focused. And we'll see that in verses 12 through 14. And then quickly we'll look at verses 15 to 21 and how ultimately God is working in his providence in this situation because it is the one who he prom- the promise that he made to Abraham that is driving um, his providential work in, in this situation. And then fourthly, we'll look at the servant's presentation to Rebecca and her family, which we'll pick up on next week. And then lastly, the servant's praise to God. So let's look at verse 10. Uh, first of all here, the preparation of the servant. Look, look at what he did. Notice that he has all these uh, gifts that he's going to bring. Notice it says he took 10 of his master's camels. So he's ready transportation-wise for all that he's taking and all that he will bring back. He's taking all sorts of choice gifts. Notice it says in verse 10, and he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now, the city of Nahor, as we've looked at in the past, is not just the name of Abraham's uncle, which goes back to the previous generation of Terah, which was Abraham's father, but notice that we're not to get confused that Nahor is also Abraham's brother. So he was named after his, his uncle in that sense. So don't get those two confused. Um, you can refer back to Genesis 11 to see that, but we see a connection here between Genesis 11 and Genesis 25 as far as uh, what is going on genealogically. But the focus here is really what God's doing in his faithfulness in each generation as we see uh, this servant also looking to the Lord for answers here. So he has prepped, he has done these uh, things to go to this place. And then look at verse 11. It says, And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. It's very interesting in the context of this whole story how the camels are uh, of somewhat on insight of, of the surrounding tasks that they were given. They were given ultimately to help uh, with transportation, but it's even in the watering of these camels in just a few verses that we see provides the context for this uh, servant to have conversation with Rebecca. It's very interesting that he didn't go to a part of the town where there was a ton of people, but he went to the watering hole, if you will. And we know that in many places in the Middle East and in ancient times, certainly one of the driving centers late in the day would be to draw water. Uh, in this part of the world, uh, extremely hot during the day, so they'd draw water in the evening when it was less um, hot. And so, as we see the, uh, some of the uh, ways that the world was set up in those days as well, is everyone was working, doing something. But the young women were often tasked with uh, hauling water. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever hauled water before, 
but uh, a couple years ago when we brought several of our youth down to youth camp at JARS, and some of you youth remember this, one of the uh, tasks that we had was to carry five-gallon buckets of water on our shoulders uh, a considerable distance just to simulate what it's like for some people to go to a water source and bring the water back to camp. Well, I don't know if you've ever tried that, but water is heavy. And so these young ladies were not doing small work. They were doing heavy, constant work as far as getting uh, the water for a household. And not just animals. We're talking, this is a big task every day, big chores. Everyone's involved getting what they need to, uh, to water both uh, man and beast. And so we see here that the servant is prepped. He's preparing for what he knows that he's been sent on this mission, and yet he wants to be successful, but he also wants to be strategic, and he also wants to do it in an efficient manner. We'll see all the way through the rest of this text into the end of chapter 24 that he really is wanting to go, get this woman, and get her back is really his goal. And he's on a mission like most men are. You know this when you go to the, sh- uh, the store, you go in there. When you go to shop, you don't feel things. You don't look at prices. You just go in there. You get what you're supposed to get, and you get back out of there as fast as you can, right? Whereas you ladies are laughing because you want to go in there and have the experience. And I get it. I've shopped enough with my wife to know that uh, there's a difference there. And so I look at it like hunting. I go, I kill it, and I get it home, and she likes to experience it and feel things. Um, If you could taste things, they probably would. But we look at this text, and we see that this servant is completely focused. Now look at his prayer. Look at verse 12. It says this. It says, he said, O Lord. Now, in most of your Bibles, you'll see there capital L-O-R-D. That is Yahweh, the covenant name of God. He's crying out to God, who is very clearly separated from the other gods uh, that are surround- in surrounding nations. And notice He says, you are the God of my master Abraham. So he's connecting this, that God, I'm calling out to you. You are the one who promised Abraham. He has knowledge of this. He knows that God has blessed Abraham. And so he's crying out to Yahweh. And he says, please grant me success today. That's the first part of his prayer. Secondly, show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Notice how selfless he is here. This is why he's such a lead servant. Look at this. His whole focus of his life is serving Abraham, let alone Abraham's God. And so he notices this and he he realizes the situation that he's in and he cries out to God in faith that God ultimately is the one who must give me success and God alone is the one who has and will show steadfast love to my master Abraham. So notice his faith in that twofold part. Now look at verse 13. It says, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. In other words, he's right there. I think this should be important to us, all of us, that talking to God in the moment is a good thing. My father-in-law recently told me a story of uh, a woman that he had been discipling, and and, uh, he was driving her to an appointment and talked to her, hey, let's pray right now. And the woman said, "Uh, right now, while we're driving? And he says, yeah, we'll, of course, keep our eyes open. Uh, But she had never done that before. She had never even considered praying while she was driving. 
and, um, and so my father-in-law was uh, sharing a, a humorous story that, that she was uh, scared that he was going to close his eyes while he was driving. And uh, he says, no, the Lord hears our prayers in the moment. In other words, this, this, this constant reality that we are before the Lord, as Paul says, to pray without ceasing, that we ought to be people who are conversating with God continually, that he cares about the details of our lives and where we find ourselves, whether we've been sent on a mission like this servant or whether we're frustrated at work or as Nathan was sharing in Sunday school, he's in the middle of an engine and sometimes uh, admits that he talks to the parts because he's frustrated possibly or whether we're working in our jobs and we're just crying out to God, God, would you help me in this? Notice the servant's prayer. He says, I'm standing here in this context, and he says, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So there's not just one. There's many daughters. It's like, hey, this is a perfect place to be if we're hunting a bride for Isaac, right? And yet here in the text, he is laying out, oh God, show me. And notice the specificity, or specificity, ah, I'm I'm tongue-tied here, on verse 14. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. So he's asking that, Lord, would you help her stand out to me by this? But not just that, but will also water his camels. Now you might think, hey, that's, you know, testing the Lord. And there's certainly places in Scripture that tell us not to test the Lord. And uh, maybe some of you young men are thinking, hey, uh, maybe this is how I should seek a wife. Um, But this isn't meant to be a a template, if you will, for finding a bride. But it goes to show that God is involved in the providential leading of two people together. That certainly is in the text. But the focus of this is clearly on the servant's prayer and how God is working his providential plan in the life of Isaac and Abraham, this servant, and ultimately Rebekah, which we'll see in the weeks ahead. So he says, let her, end of of verse 14, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. In other words, he's praying like most men do. Lord, help me to be successful. I want this done. I want it done in an efficient way. Um, And I, I think if we were to Uh, see this in the context of the rest of Scripture, that we're praying, oh God, your will be done, that you would do this. This is the task you've sent me on. Now, if you go back to verses 1 through 9, remember the one thing that was going to free this servant up from his oath of finding a bride is if the bride was unwilling to come back. And so there was wisdom there. And so there's a lot here to realize as far as prayers and vows and promises Uh, There's many applications here that we don't uh, uh, put God to the test. We don't make vows we can't keep. We certainly don't make oaths we can't keep, but we reason through that by faith. But here at the end of verse 15 then, or 14, it says, by this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So what he's asking for is discernment. God, would you give me discernment? Would you help this kind of situation come to pass that... Not only would I be able to accomplish what I'm doing, but ultimately that you would show your steadfast love to Abraham, which is what it's all about. This continuation of the, the line of Abraham to Isaac. And for our current uh, struggles in our own society, it is 
a man and a woman that God is bringing together for the sake of his plan. And men and women have different roles, of course. But isn't it show the uh, great uh, emphasis that God puts on his creation, both man and woman? That God in his, has revealed his image in both men and women. And while they're different, they reveal the image of God in unique ways. And so God is glorified in bringing them together in this way. And so he set up this context of a prayer and asking God, you, you ultimately have to do this. But notice here in verse 15 now, our third point, the providence of God. Wouldn't we all wish that our prayers were answered this quickly? But look at what it says. It says, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah who was born to Bethuel, the son of Nilkah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Now, I don't want you to miss this, verse 15. We are reading this as far as historic narrative uh, from the pen of Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We, as the reader, are getting to see something that the servant in the text doesn't know yet. We know, as readers, that this is who's coming. Don't miss this, because for the interpretation of this passage, it's so vital that we understand this, that God is giving us, the readers, the understanding that God is about to provide this, but the servant doesn't know it yet. So we're watching as third parties, watching God unfold his will to a man who has prayed in faith. And that's meant to encourage us. It's meant to remind us, and for the readers of those who were reading Moses, it was the encouragement to God's people, ultimately, to be people of faith that are trusting the Lord and not circumstances. And so look at this. It defines who this woman is, and then it, it describes her in verse 16, that the young woman is very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her water jar and came up. Again, she's working and he's observing this. Then in verse 17, Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. Now, there's multiple women uh, going down to the water. This is a, a busy time. Why is it that he went to her at that exact moment? I want you to see here that this is not... Um, something that he's pretending to, to be a man of faith. He has prayed, and now he's acting on his prayer. For some of us, that is a, a good encouragement, that while we there is certainly a time to wait on the Lord and pray, often as we see in this passage, we're to pray and work at the same time. We continue to do what we know he's called us to do until he answers. Those of you that are in transition periods, um, whether that's job or home or whatever can be applicable here, that we're trusting the Lord, but we're continuing to put our hands to labor. And so he comes up to her, and the first one, uh, according to the text that he comes to, he speaks to her, and he asks her, as he had prayed already to God, uh, without her knowledge, that, would you give me a drink of water? And notice her response, verse 18, right in line of what he prayed, she said, drink, my Lord. So she's you notice all that he's already learned about her. She's a hard-working woman. She is diligent. She is respectful in the way that she responds to him. And she uh, is obviously very generous in the fact that she uh, doesn't um, uh, push him away. But 
asks uh, if, or, or tells him to drink. And notice it says, and she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Now, if you've heard me preach for very long, you know it's important to look at the details of a passage. Words like quickly are important. It's the way at which she did what she did. She didn't just uh, respond to his need, but she did it quickly. She did it with diligence. She lets down her jar. She gives him a drink. And just as he prayed, look at verse 19. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. Now, we might look over that passage, keep reading, and say, oh, that's somewhat insignificant. But if you remember right, at the very beginning, it tells us he had 10 camels. And what this, cam this, this passage doesn't tell you is how much camels drink. I'm sure the robbers could share with us some stories about camels. But um, we know that camels drink a lot. And uh, just a little bit of research that I did, that camels can drink um, uh, up to 40 liters in five minutes. So if you translate that, you're, you're talking gallons and gallons of water just very quickly. And so the fact that she's drawing water for his camels is something that's going beyond her chore list, and she's willing to work even harder. And notice the context here. It says she did it until all of them had finished drinking. And how many camels? Ten. So you're talking, if, if she's carrying five to ten gallons on her shoulder, you're talking a good bit of work, probably an hour or more of labor, whether she had help I don't know. It doesn't, the text doesn't tell us. But she is drawing water, not just for him, but then for uh, the men that are with him, no doubt, are drinking as well. Uh, and then all these camels. And notice, again, after she does this, it says verse um, uh, 20. It says, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. There's a lot loaded into verse 20 there as far as the busyness of Rebecca. So think about all that's being revealed about Rebecca in just this little situation. She's a hard working woman. She's not just industrious as far as being at the well in doing her chores, but she's also uh, very responsive to strangers to not just give them water, but also to provide for what was their transportation. And she's done this without even being requested of her. And this was part of the servant's prayer, that he wouldn't, she wouldn't just give me water, but she would offer to water my camels. So notice how God is answering here in his providence. And how often do we pray? And we're looking for an amazing supernatural sign from heaven in what we are praying about and yet here in the context of Scripture, let alone the norm of all of God's people throughout the centuries, is simply trusting the Lord with the circumstances we are in. The servant didn't want to go back without a bride for Isaac. But he also knew that God was able to work in circumstances. And so he prayed that God would answer a detailed prayer, and God did. It doesn't mean that we always will get that. It doesn't mean that God always answers this way. That's certainly, we can't take that from this passage, let alone other scriptures. 
But what can we know? We can know that God does hear our prayers. God does hear the prayers of the righteous. God does hear a prayer of faith. And ultimately, the servant was praying in faith that God would do this ultimately for his revealed will and plan, which is ultimately to fulfill the promise of bringing a godly seed into the next generation. And it's not just that. We know this is connected ultimately to a baby that would ultimately be born one day in Bethlehem, just in the same region that we are studying about. And so here in verse 21, we see that uh, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Notice the little bit of doubt or the tinge of uncertainty here. That even though he has prayed in faith and he's prayed for these particular circumstances and he sees them coming about, he still is wary. He's not quite certain. Isn't this speak to us in a way of the very nature of faith? That we are called to trust God even when the circumstances are not even the exact way that we would like them to be, to be a a confirmation of what God is doing. You see this even in the life of others. While we wouldn't use uh, Gideon as an example prayer warrior, uh, maybe as a warrior but not a prayer warrior, but even as he prayed details about how God would do certain things and then doubted and then, then did the opposite. And you know that story about how he put a fleece out before the Lord and so on and so forth. While we can't use that as uh, a proof for a, a good prayer life, we see that ultimately Gideon was praying to God. So it shows our human nature. It also shows God's providence in how he is working in our lives for his glory and for our good. And he is looking ultimately to God, this covenant-keeping God, to prosper his journey. And so notice that uh, there probably was a lot of time that passed uh, between her drawing water for all these camels, these ten camels. It says, here we go again in verse 22, that we now see the presentation that this servant makes. It says in verse 22 that the camels had finished drinking, The man took out a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. In other words, he's pulling out some goods. And this is uh, where it starts to look like Christmas for Rebecca. She's uh, uh, getting jewelry and how, hey, this is pretty cool. Maybe I should go draw some more water for everybody else's camels. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm reading that into the text. That's not there. She is getting presented with very expensive jewelry. In fact, if uh, you're interested, if you jump over to uh, verse 47 towards the end of the passage, which we didn't read today, um, he'll, when he shares this with her brother and her father, uh, it says, I, I put a ring on her nose and bracelets on her arms. So that's another detail that we can bring is ultimately it was a nose ring. And some of your parents are like, no, 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 pastor, stop right there. Don't talk about this. We don't want our daughters having nose rings. But in that culture, very appropriate. And we see here that he presents her with these things, also an act of faith, but also of thanksgiving for what she had done. And notice the presentation goes on, and he asked her two questions. Look at verse 23. He says, please tell me whose daughter you are. 
up to this point, he's prayed for patience and for God to prosper his journey, for God to bring a young woman into uh, his life that is ultimately going to be that one that he's supposed to take back for his master. But little did he know that this is the very woman that Abraham had encouraged him to go back to his people. What are the chances of that happening? And so he says, whose daughter are you? And then secondly, his question at the end of verse 23 is, your, in your father's house is there room for us to spend the night? Now that's a big ask. You've got ten camels, you have uh, servants with you, and then, of course, himself. And so we see finally here in verse 24 how she responds. She presents who she is. And in good order, she says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. So there's the family line there, Nahor being Abraham's brother. If you re- read verse 24 backwards, that's, that's the, uh, the brother of Abraham and then his son, um, Bethuel, uh, with his, his wife, Milcah, uh, had, these, had these children. And so she is Bethuel's daughter. And so this is the exact family that Abraham was encouraging him to connect with. So, verse 25, she also added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And I don't know if her brother felt the same way, uh, but uh, she shared that, Oh yeah, we got places, we, we got food, we got all this stuff uh, for you that we, we can provide for you. So a very large household, just like Abraham's was. So these are not uh, poor families, these are very Uh, wealthy, well-off families, and this providential plan that God has put together is ultimately coming to fulfillment before our eyes. And so we see that he presents her with these things, but finally, the focus of that we'll pick up on next week when we look at the rest of chapter 24, because Rebecca also, we're going to see, is an example of faith here in this context. But the passage is just too long. I don't want us to miss this prayer of the servant, which is why we're pausing here and ending at verse 28. That the, the focus of this text is trying to show God's ultimate working in this situation to not only answer uh, the servant's prayer, but ultimately bring forth the fruition of the promise that God made to Abraham and also to Isaac. And there's this sense of connection here because uh, we know that Moses brings the information in verse 20 or in chapter 25 that ultimately Abraham is dying and then the focus goes on to Isaac at this point but look at this final point here uh, in verse 26 through 28 that the man doesn't end there he bows his head and he worshiped the Lord I don't know about you but oftentimes we pray and we ask God to work but do we remember to go back and thank him We think of the story of the ten lepers that Jesus shared, that only one returned to say thank you. How often it is that we forget to worship the Lord in how he's worked in our lives. We're praying for something big like a a spouse or a job. Do we turn back to him and say, Lord, thank you? Look at his worship here. He says he blessed the Lord. And he says, I bless him, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master notice he's not even he's bypassing himself surely he's going to see this that god has done this also for him in this situation 
This was a faith builder for this servant. But notice he's been on task for his master. He recognizes God's faithfulness to his servant. Notice the humility here. But he doesn't let it just pass him. Have you ever thanked God for what he's done in other people's lives? You certainly can worship God for how he answers prayer. We've seen God answer prayer in the context of multiple situations this this year, haven't we? We've seen uh, God work in the midst of both good, bad, and ugly, and we trust him in the midst of that. But he says, you have not forsaken your steadfast love and your faithfulness towards my master. And then notice he turns it personal. He says, as for me, the Lord, the covenant God of Abraham, has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. You see, the faith of Abraham and the faith of Sarah has been passed on to their household. Not just those that are their progeny, but his very servant sees this day that God is to be trusted. God is to be worshipped. God is to be uh, honored. That Yahweh is greater than any other God in this region who has ever revealed themselves that God is the God who keeps his covenant and is faithful to every generation. And so the servant is seeing this from a third-party perspective and saying, great is the Lord. Regardless of how he interacts in the days ahead, we see that this has been an answer to him, a revelation, if you will, of the God of Abraham and ultimately of Isaac. So he's worshiping. And notice he bowed his head. He, he began to worship. And notice the response of Rebekah, which we'll pick up on next week in verse 28, says, then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Again, it's interesting. We'll get into this next week, but she's going to her household. Often the men and women were separated because of the size of the households and the servants. So she's probably running to where her uh, room is and just sharing with her mother's household all that just happened. And we'll see that it picks up with uh, the rest of the family in the verses that follow. But what, what about for us? What does this mean for us? Well, as we go into this holiday season, perhaps you're thinking about gifts. Perhaps you're thinking about uh, the, this issue of faith and praying for things that are heavy upon your heart. Well, when we think about this text and we think about how is it applied to us, Lord, in what ways are we like this servant? In what ways are we like Abraham, anxious for our children, anxious, anxious for what you're going to do, what you've promised you would do, and yet hasn't happened yet? As we face a new year, there's multiple ways that God could use this in our lives. But a few takeaways that I think are important for us to look at this morning. First of all, uh, that if God is able to provide a uh, substitute sacrifice for Isaac in previous chapters, we know as readers of the scriptures that God is able to provide a bride for Isaac. And so there's a sense in reading this passage that we knew how it was going to turn out. That God is faithful. He's the hero of every story. He is redeeming a people for himself. That God is able to be trusted. And if that is true, what about you? Are you going into this holiday season fully trusting the Lord? As we know that 
For many of us, this is a walk with God, but maybe there's somebody listening here this morning or somebody online that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you have never looked to Christ, this God, who's providing a bride for Isaac for your own eternal salvation. Because the Scriptures tell us that God is angry with the sinner. Why? Because they're rebelling against His throne. And yet God in His grace came Himself in the form of a man through a virgin named Mary that first Christmas and was God's gift to the world. And it shows the very humility of our own God to wrap Himself in great humility to uh, dwell amongst us. And while He was perfect and sinless, He came into a world that was unwelcoming, a world that was cold and then lost in their sin. And yet He fulfilled the law perfectly. And He, the perfect sacrifice, went to the cross and died for you and for me. He, the promised one in this line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob that we're reading about. This is the story of the Bible. The story of redemption. And here this season, we turn our attention again to this baby that was born in Bethlehem and he was given as a gift. But what a shame that we would go through another Christmas and you don't trust him for the very thing that he was sent to do, which was to deliver you from yourself and from your sin and from Satan and ultimately eternally separation from him. So that's the first application is, are you looking to the very progeny that we're studying about here in Genesis? He's ultimately the best gift, the ultimate answered prayer. But secondly, I think there's some great points on prayer here. As far as do we pray with earnestness, expecting God to answer, and not just wild prayers here. These are focused prayers according to His will. The Scriptures tell us that if we ask anything in His name, He will do it for us. That's different from the kind of prayers we hear about from online preachers and things that we would like to think for health, wealth, and prosperity purposes. But notice the prayer of this servant wasn't directed towards himself. It was ultimately about a task he had been sent on, but it's, uh, it's uniquely tied to the very promise of all of Scripture, which was at that point that God would redeem a family, let alone a nation, and bring a land, and all these things were going to go ultimately through Isaac. And the servant knew that. He prayed according to God's will. God, I'm this, this little link here in the midst of this generational promise that you've done. This is way too big for me. I trust you that you can bring two people who don't even know each other, and I certainly don't know that you are able to do this, to bring them together to accomplish your ultimate plan. This is about you. This is about your greatness. This is about your glory. Do we pray like that? Do we pray in faith that God is able to do what we cannot possibly do in ourselves. Are we trusting Him? Are we talking to Him? Are we believing Him that He is able to do that? From the big things like, oh God, deliver this, the, the, the people group we prayed for today. D deliver, bring missionaries to the Disa people of Chad. Why do we pray that? Well, we might not go, but maybe he is sending us. 
But we believe that God ultimately is going to redeem some from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we pray in faith. It might not happen in our lifetime. It may not happen from this congregation. But it's a biblical prayer. God, do this. Why? Because we know that you're going to do it. We just don't know how. That's why, fathers, you can pray for things that that are huge like that to all the way down. God, as, as I pray often, God, provide spouses for my children. My children are growing. I've, I've taught them the best I know. I've, I've poured the gospel into them. Oh, but God, well, they need spouses that also are fearing you. Your word tells me that they're to marry believers and not to be unequally yoked. And so all of a sudden this prayer doubles in size. For those of us that have large families, we know that. Lord, Lord give me faith to have a large family. Now I need larger faith for, to, to double the family. Trust him. Talk to him in the small things, in the big things. How are you praying for direction? How are you trusting him? Where does that land right now with what you are going through? I don't know. The Lord does. Thirdly, are we trusting his providential leading in our lives? Like the servant displayed here, he knew he was going to the right place. So that's where Abraham told him to go. He knew he was trusting the ultimate God of of all things, God of heaven and earth, as Abraham often called him. So he knew that God was able to do for him what he couldn't do. He knew that God was giving him all the resources that he needed to be successful, but it was ultimately up to God. He was putting himself in the right place. He was obedient. He was prepared. He was doing all that humanly he knew to do, but ultimately it's up to the Lord. This is from everything from our daily tasks as parents or grandparents or Uh, For you students in school, doing the very normal things that you're called to do is part of God's providence in your life. But God does his part. And we see this in this this, this sense that uh, do we often look for things that are outside of what God is ultimately bringing before us. Sometimes the answers of prayer, as we see in this passage, are right in front of our face. And we can't see it. Whether that's praying for a spouse in this context or whether we're praying for something bigger or something smaller and that sometimes it's right in front of us the issue is are we trusting the lord in his providential care pay attention to how god speaks through other people because they are his people and god always speaks through his people but he also speaks of course through his word primarily and we're looking to him but we see even in the context of his word that he puts us in providential circumstances to ultimately connect to things that maybe were a disconnect for us. Fourthly, I have two more. Pay attention to the people, this is connected to the last one, the the people that he's brought into your life. Pay attention to how God is working in the midst of his overarching plan and how he is bringing things together. Whether that's in business or whether that's in marriage and relationships as we see in this context, or whether that's in friendships. Pay attention to what God is doing. Maybe you're praying that God would bring you godly friends. Well, pay attention to who's on the horizon. Pay attention to what God is doing in you to be the best friend you're called to be. Are you paying attention to what God is doing around you, not just in you? Don't just gaze into your soul on where you want to grow and learn. But pay attention to what God is doing around you and in the context that God has called you to. And then lastly, we see from this text a huge application that we've already made some emphasis on is don't forget to praise God for how he answers. 
And yes, sometimes that answer is no. Sometimes it's no. There's many places in the, in the Bible that speak of godly men and women praying and God says no. Think about David wanting to build the temple. God says no. How do you respond to that? Well, that's the heart question. How do we respond to God when he answers no? But even when he answers yes, and he answers a prayer with, with just, it just seems to flow as we see in this passage. We don't forget to praise him for that, but we praise him even in the no, and most of the time it's wait. Wait on me. Worship me. And we worship while we're waiting. We're worshiping him and trusting him in the midst of God. You are the one that's got to do this. I can't do it. Do we pray with faith while we're waiting? Do we trust him when he says no, that he's going to lead us in another direction? I'm living this this year. I had no idea how 2023 was going to go. No earthly idea. But God is able to be trusted. He meets us in our darkest hours. He meets us where we're at, whether we're suffering, whether we are doing well. He meets us where we're at. Are you trusting him and are you praising him for how he answers? So as you chew on this and we go into a time of response here, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, consider how much God loves us and cares for us. And if he cares for these camels and he cares about the success of a servant finding a uh, spouse, and as we read in the scriptures, that he loves and cares us that so much that he would become a man to become a sacrifice on our behalf that he could reconcile us to God, you are in a very good place. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you for bringing us to this well, this ancient well in Padanaram thousands of years ago. And yet it's here we see you connecting not just generations, but the very answer that you brought the world from Genesis 3, that you would bring one, a redeemer, a promised one, that would save us from our iniquities. Lord, you are exalted in the heavens. You have angels surrounding you, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Our eyes are lifted up to your greatness this morning and we are humbled because we find ourselves in the same place as this servant, let alone the same place as Rebecca, doing our daily tasks, watering our camels, trying to fulfill the obligations that you have brought to our plate. And yet, we must look to you and how you're using these things to draw us to yourself. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, would you use your word to humble us, to challenge us in our own prayer lives and in our own trust of you, that you are able to do the impossible. And that by faith, you are extending this very promise of Abraham to us as we are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. And while we see this in a genealogical way in this text, we also see it in a faithful way, which ultimately Apostle Paul picks upon in Romans, that it's by the faith of Abraham 
that he was declared righteous. Father, as we go to your table in just a few moments, would you help us to respond again by faith, recognizing the great sacrifice you made on our behalf, that you would help us in this moment of time of response, that you would be glorified. We look to you, the treasure of our souls, the hope of the nations, and the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.